Good morning. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, and whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening by my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, now that you also may know that I am and what I am doing, Tychius, the beloved father and faithful minister in the Lord, will help you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. You may know how we are and that we are, may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with the faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You may be seated. Let's pray together, church, before we begin our study in the Word. Father, you are holy, righteous, and altogether good. You are light, you are love, and you are always faithful. You are our refuge, our rock, our hope for things yet to come. And Father, help us this morning to see with spiritual eyes the spiritual battle that's before us. And Father, we pray that you would change our heart. And we pray that you would renew our minds yet this day through your word of truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our text today is simple. In fact, it's a simple text today. So simple, in fact, that I would like to make it an objective of the church that we know what this says. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. This side over here can be our stand, therefore, Okay, having girded your waist with truth. Let's repeat that. Sometimes just repeating it out loud helps us to remember it. So this, this group over here, okay, here we go, ready? Stand therefore, 
having girded your waist with truth. One more time. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Okay? I want you to remember that this morning. That's the verse. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning in our time that we have together. Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6 is speaking of a spiritual battle. It's a real battle that the church at Ephesus waged in first century A.D. And it's still a real battle today going on. Even among those who call hope in Christ their church family. See, he's given to us here in the word the general overview of the battle in verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. Which we covered last week in large part. And now he's about to go into more detail, and specifically, he's going to address this whole armor of God spoken of in verses 11 and 13. And so perhaps a good starter question is asking, how is it that we can stand in this battle that's being described? The text begins, stand therefore, that's how it begins, stand therefore. How are we able to stand in this battle? Well, I believe the text has already at least in part answered that question in two ways. First, we're told to be continually strengthened in the power of his might, verse 10. To see this in a negative light, we could infer that you cannot stand and fight effectively without his power. To put it in a positive way, we could say that his power is absolutely essential for standing against the devil's schemes. We also can see, secondly, that we're called to put on the whole armor of God. We're called to take up the armor of God, the whole armor. And the progression, I believe, in the text is significant. None of us can use the armor rightly unless we have his power working in us. The call to put on the whole armor comes after being strengthened in the power of his might. You know, I was thinking in the scriptures... In Corinthians, Paul writes, he says, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Remember that passage in chapter 2 of Corinthians? Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. The Spirit who is from God, who is representative of God's power at work in us. So we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God... That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And as we think about our text today, what things might we desire to know that have been given to us by God? It would be helpful to know exactly what this armor is. And the purpose and the benefit for wearing such an armor. Paul says in Corinthians that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And you know, I, I, from there I got to thinking about the story in, in Samuel 17, a very familiar story that many of you are, are very aware of, the David and Goliath encounter in chapter 17. And I was thinking about how at the point in time David had been given permission to go and fight Goliath on behalf of Israel. But before he goes, King Saul has David put on what he thinks is the proper armor for the battle. You remember that? He hasn't put on what he thinks is the proper armor. Listen to the text in Samuel 17, verses 38 and 39. The text says, so Saul clothed David with his armor. And he put a bronze helmet on his head and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, 
for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. You know, we can picture the scene on that day, can't we? And how clumsily that armor must have adorned little David. Remember, Saul was a head taller than any in Israel. And David's this little shepherd boy. It didn't fit him for battle, did it? He couldn't even walk in that armor very well. So he takes it off and he advances into the battle. Listen, he advances into the battle with God's armor. A shepherd bag. Slingshot. Some smooth stones. A staff. And here's the critical piece of the armor that David wore that day. The spirit of God. He's fighting the ultimate mismatch of a battle. A heavily armored veteran fighting machine versus a young shepherd boy trained to protect his father's flock with a slingshot and a bag of stones. You see, David was clothed with the whole armor of God that day at the Valley of Allah. He ran to the battle lines against that uncircumcised Philistine because he knew that the battle was not going to be won or lost in his strength. It was going to be through the mighty power of God at work in him that this giant's flesh would be handed over to the birds of the air, as David so boldly spoke. As David took up the whole armor of God that day, he makes a declaration, in fact, that this battle is the Lord's. And he says, he will give you into our hands. You see, it's his armor, it's his battle, it's his victory, all that he might get glory among the nations. So tell me, church, whose armor are you putting on these days? Whose armor are you putting on these days? Are you manufacturing your own armor to put on? Have you accepted an armor to put on that belongs to someone else? Are you finding it hard to walk in the armor that you've put on? Listen, the the whole armor of God described here in Ephesians 6 is always going to fit. This is wonderful news. God's armor is always going to fit. If you are in Christ, this armor is always what you need to stand in the battle. This whole armor has been given to you by God to effectively stand against the evil one and his schemes. The Bible says that the natural man cannot stand. The natural man cannot. Only the spiritual man, filled with the Holy Spirit, has discernment to know the things of God and all that he's been given. The spiritual man has been awakened to the power of God working in him and sees the whole armor of God as his necessary equipment for facing each day in the context of what? A dark world? A flesh that's always bent on returning to that old man status and the devil's deception. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in one of his messages in Ephesians 6, I was drawn to this statement. He, He made this statement. He said that the moment we become Christians, we become special objects of the devil's attack Listen, because it is through us that he trusts and hopes that he can bring the name and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ into disrepute and into disgrace. 
Think about that for just a moment. You know, I read this and I'm reminded immediately that the spiritual battle goes beyond me. It goes beyond me. The devil, you see, he merely wants to use you to thwart the name and the work of the Lord Jesus. He wants to use your life to profane the name of God. And as I was thinking about that, I was, I was drawn to, you know, not, not too far from here, there's this train. And in various places, perhaps you've seen train cars go by. And, and on occasion, sadly, on occasion, you see these train cars go by that have graffiti on them. Anybody ever seen a train car with graffiti? For those of you that don't know what graffiti is, it's a fancy paint job that typically someone has taken um, the opportunity to spray all over these train cars. These train cars, by the way, don't belong to them, and yet they've decided it's okay to spray these messages on these train cars. And so wherever the train cars pass, the graffiti is seen, isn't it? It's noticeable as it travels along the track. Everyone who sees the train car can see the graffiti that's on it. And isn't it a shame that people today are okay with defaming and destroying something that doesn't belong to them? They're profaning property that belongs to someone else. You see, I was thinking about that. I was thinking how the devil wants to use your life. Made in the image of God, he wants wants your life to serve as graffiti on the walls of those train cars. He wants to parade your allegiance to him for all to see. Church, don't let the devil do this. Don't let him do this. He, see, he has limited time from what I see in the scripture. He has limited time here before the Lord locks him up into that lake of fire for good. Don't allow him to continue profaning the name and work of God by using you as one of his pawns. What a tragedy it is when God's people are found giving themselves to the devil's schemes. I don't believe We've captured the magnitude of the battle before us, church. You see, because if the devil is about targeting the Christian to profane the name and work of God, have we considered, have we considered the eternal purpose of our own relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Ephesians 6, church, is not simply a call to be aware of the enemy that you might gain victory in this life, that you individually might gain victory in this life. That's not the full extent of the battle, church. And I believe we've been duped into thinking wrongly about this battle. You see, the battle is not simply something to win at an individual level. It's not even about winning at the household level. Not even about winning at the local assembly level. And I wonder if we've been blinded about the scope of this battle. We are to take up this whole armor of God. Yes, that we might be able to withstand and having done all to stand. But we are called to stand in the battle with the whole armor on as representatives of the Lord. With the objective to give God glory, to give God praise, to serve as God's witness in this dark world. Perhaps... We've fallen prey already to the schemes of the evil one if we have only been fighting this battle looking out for number one. We may very well partake of one of the evil one's strategies if we only see it 
pertaining to our household standing in the battle. Don't get me wrong. Praise God if you are standing in the battle. Praise God if your household is standing in the battle. But I want you to see that it's not the most important part of this battle. We wage warfare against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of darkness primarily as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus. So when we stand in battle and walk with the Lord each day, taking in his word, hitting our knees in fervent prayer, spending time with like-minded brothers and sisters in community-like fashion, as described in Acts chapter 2, when we're living by faith and not by sight, when we begin to see the spiritual battle as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know how the enemy is going about his work of deception to use you just like a piece on the chessboard. Things begin to change when we start to understand the scope and magnitude of this battle. Lives change. But the change, notice this. The change is not going to go undetected by the evil one. He's ever at work. But we can be assured that his work is second rate against the power of God in you. How do I know that? I didn't make it up. God's word says so. 1 John 4, verse 4 says that you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. You see, in Christ, we have overcome. He says, because, here's here's why and how we overcome. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God in you, his mighty power at work through you. The devil and his companions are no match all the more reason to be continually strengthened in the power of his might, church. The necessary follow-up to being strengthened by God is to put on the whole armor of God. His strength, coupled with his whole armor made available, that's what allows the Christian to stand in the battle. So then we ask the question, what pieces then make up this whole armor? What are the individual pieces that contribute to the Christian standing in the battle? And that's where Paul goes as we get to verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Right? Stand therefore. The verse continues, but for today it's going to stop. That we might consider this first piece of the armor. This whole armor that's been given to us by God. I'd like you to consider each piece of armor as an exercise in critical thinking. Ask some questions of the text. Why is this piece necessary? How would this piece benefit the Christian putting it on? Let's remember that this armor, this whole armor of God is exclusively only for the Christian. It's fitted for the Christian. How does this piece of armor counter the attacks of the evil one in our lives? First, I believe it's helpful to see the order of things. Oftentimes, oftentimes the order does make a difference in the text. In fact, we've already seen it here in verses 10 and 11. Be strengthened in his mighty power first, then put on and take up the whole armor of God. But what about here in verse 14? Is the belt which goes around one's waist needful before putting on any of the other pieces that follow? As a soldier in battle, 
The belt was instrumental in holding things in place. The belt would hold the breastplate in place, which we'll get to next week. It would also serve as the holding place for the sword on occasion. The expression in the Bible you probably have come across a few times, gird up the loins. It's a call to readiness. It's a call to action. Alertness. The soldier who's preparing for battle had better gird up his loins. He's called to always be ready. Some translations here in Ephesians 6 speak of this piece of armor as the belt of truth. The belt was typically made of leather and served as essential equipment for the soldier. A slackened belt was a recipe for disaster. But a belt girded around the waist held things together and allowed the soldier to effectively stand and fight in the battle. So from a physical battle standpoint, the belt was a critical piece of armor. But this belt that's girded around the waist of the Christian, it's no ordinary belt. It's described as a belt of truth. Puritan pastor William Gurnall, in his lengthy work on the armor of God, he says this about the belt of truth. He says, some by truth mean a truth of doctrine. Others will have it, truth of heart or sincerity. They, I think, best that comprise both. One will not do without the other. Some great insight on our understanding of this belt of truth. You see, this truth of doctrine is what we might call the truth. The truth. The gospel truth. And no doubt we are to gird about us this gospel truth in great measure. No doubt the gospel truth holds all things in place doctrinally, doesn't it? The gospel truth. This truth is what the Christian is called to speak in love in Ephesians 4.15. The truth is what Jude contends for when he speaks of the faith which was once for all entrusted to the saints. The truth is what the apostle Paul time and time again promotes as he travels around the Mediterranean world. Each of the cities had a certain culture. But each place, the truth of the gospel was needed. This truth stands in contrast to falsehood. The truth is not embraced today in many circles. Sadly, even in many Christian circles. The truth of the gospel has been abandoned. Has been forsaken. Falsehood abounds doctrinally. And it seems that professing Christians have substituted their own belt of truth in place of God's truth. Truth is, for for many today, truth is this squishy, relative, pragmatic peace. There's not many, it seems, standing upon the truth of the scriptures. And no doubt we could spend time looking at examples. One that I just put forward for your consideration this morning is that of the truth of who Jesus is. We could, we could have a long discussion about what people today are thinking about this man, Jesus Christ. There is a lot of falsehood about who Jesus is that's swirling around today. The truth of who Jesus is. Jesus, the Bible says, is fully man and fully God. 
There are some people who don't believe that. Jesus is our substitute who paid completely for our sins. Jesus is deemed to be the Lamb of God, the one who was sacrificed for our sins, the one who was also raised to life on the third day. Christ died, he was buried, and on the third day he was raised. That's the gospel truth. The Bible says that Jesus ascended then to be with his Father, where he now awaits a second coming, this time to judge. See, doctrinal falsehood is a wonderful scheme of the evil one. All you need to do today is look around all the denominations that exist. The Church of Jesus Christ has been splintered and fractured into many pieces. And all the while, the devil smiles, acknowledging the disunity that abounds. Listen, that's exactly what he wants and desires is disunity. Do you know what Jesus prayed for before he went to the cross? He prayed for unity. That we would be one. The truth is a rarity today. There's another understanding of the truth that's presented. And it's what Garnall called that truth of heart or sincerity. This, this belt of truth is that which is true. In light of the pieces of armor that are presented to us in the word... I believe it's this second meaning that's primary to the first. Both are needful, yes. But I'd like to spend the the rest of our time speaking to this second aspect of the truth. I'd like you to consider how this belt of truth girded around the waist is an effective weapon in the battle against the evil one. What do you know about the devil? What do we know about him from the word? Well, we know that he's sinned from the beginning. We know that he's the prince of the power of the air. We know that he is at work right now in the sons of disobedience. We know that he's like a roaring lion, Peter says, seeking whom he may devour. We know that he's the father of lies. In fact, one of the characteristics of the enemy is that he is a liar. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44, that he, speaking of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. The father of lies. Stott, in his commentary on the book of Ephesians, he writes here, he says, What the devil abominates is transparent truth. He loves darkness. Light causes him to flee. Think about that. Transparent truth. Sincerity. Walking in the light as God is in the light. Genuineness. Being honest. These are all expressions of what I believe is intended for the Christian when he girds around his waist this belt of truth. This piece of armor is foundational, church. Truth-telling is counter to the one characterized as a liar. In fact, in the same book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 25, Paul says, Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. You know, I find it interesting as I read Ephesians 4.25. Paul is addressing the church and he's speaking to them about lying and telling the truth. A Christian audience 
needs to be reprimanded, reminded, and called to speak the truth? The text assumes lying has been happening. He calls the church to be putting away lying. Put on the belt of truth. Speak truth to one another in the body. Know that when you speak lies of any form, even those white lies, when you speak lies... You are partnering with the devil who is the father of lies. You are using your tongue for his glory and not the Lord's glory. And in fact, your heart is affected as well. For what comes out of the mouth, the Bible says, is an expression of what is in your heart. This belt of truth is also a belt of sincerity. A belt of sincerity which counters the one who attacks from a position of deception. If you're not sincere or genuine, the opposite of that is what we might call a fake. Right? A fake. There's a book on my shelf at home that bears the title, Faking Church. That's the title of the book. Faking Church. And the cover of the book has... Several masks, different faces, a bunch of masks. It's representative of what one does when he fakes his way through life. He dons the mask. And that's the hypocrite, isn't it? That's the idea of the Greek word, hypocrites, to don the mask. The one who knows how to put on the right mask for just the right situation the Christian who engages in this spiritual battle needs to understand that he can't fake it. He can't just show up on Sundays. He can't just open the Bible when the preacher preaches on Sundays. He can't just dress up nicely, put on a smiling face, pretend that all is well with me, all is well with my family, all is well, yes, all is quite well. When we live as a pretender, we are operating as the devil would have us operate, church. When we try to fake our way through Sunday morning, we can be assured that the devil has gained some measure of foothold in our lives. Listen, we have come this morning to worship the Lord. As we worship the Lord, are you today wondering about God and about His majesty in this hour? Or are you wandering somewhere else thinking about what your next activity might be this afternoon? What you're going to eat for lunch? Who are you going to play with this afternoon? Don't get me wrong, those are all good things. But they ought not be priority things. The Bible says that the Lord knows those whose hearts are His. He knows where your heart is. The evil one masquerades quite often, doesn't he? The Bible says he's a masquerader. He's a pretender. And if he can simply use you to masquerade, to pretend that you are a Christian, that's one way he gets glory and not God. 
He's thrilled when God's spokesperson here on earth is giving him glory. For as he gets glory, he robs and steals the glory that's rightly intended for God. You see, because the devil is about not just you as an individual, he's about something much bigger, and that is thwarting the name and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth. The truth is not only characterized by truth-telling and not only sincerity, but this belt of truth is characterized by honesty. Honesty. Putting on this piece of the armor of God is counter to dishonesty, or what the Bible repeatedly calls deception. That phrase, do not be deceived, shows up on a few different occasions. We see it in James chapter 1 on a few go-abouts. It comes, pops up, do not be deceived, my brethren. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Shows up in Galatians 5. When you are a hearer only, according to James, and not a doer of the word, you deceive yourself. You're deceiving yourself when you think that God is somehow responsible for you succumbing to that sin in your life. You deceive your own heart when you profess the label of Christian and yet use your tongue wrongly. And Galatians 5 verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Do not be deceived, brethren, into thinking you can live for the devil and produce godly fruit. Do not be deceived into thinking that you can work for the evil one and down the road reap godly seed. God is not mocked. He knows and is not fooled by your deception. Long ago, the prophet Jeremiah got it right about our hearts, didn't he? Chapter 17, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. You see, the belt of truth is a belt of honesty and not deception. Some of you here today have been living in deception for quite some time now, perhaps. You have exchanged honesty for deception. And to this point, maybe you fooled a few people. Maybe dad and mom don't know the whole story. Maybe you haven't disclosed the honest truth to your spouse about a situation. The belt of truth is a belt that manifests honesty and not deception. To deceive is to partner with the great deceiver and to advance his cause over and above that of God. We are Christians that we might operate like Christ. Remember, We're Christians that we might operate like Christ, giving the Father glory in all things. And this this belt of truth involves then truth-telling and sincerity and honesty, all of which effectively counter some level of attack from the evil one. I'd like to give you one other aspect of this piece of armor to consider. And that is that this belt of truth is a belt of light. It's a belt of light. 
Think about how helpful it is to wear this belt around the waist when you are opposed by the powers of darkness. One of my favorite verses in the scripture comes from 1 John 2, verse 6, which says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. And the question comes, well, how did Jesus walk? And is it really possible for me to walk, for a Christian to walk? Is it possible to walk as Christ himself walked? Well, Jesus walked in the light. That's the context leading up to 1 John 2, verse 6. You read the Gospels and you see Jesus always walking in the light. Everywhere he walked, darkness was scattering. And so as a Christian, putting on the whole armor of God, and in particular this belt of truth, you are to walk in the light as God is in the light. If you back up to 1 John chapter 1, you read these words. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no what? Darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we do what? We lie. What have we already said about being a liar? We partner with the devil in his work when we lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We walk, in other words, in such a way that we recognize day by day throughout our day that God has rescued us. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of light. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. See, the image of light, in fact, has already been attached elsewhere for the Apostle Paul. Romans 13, verse 12, he says, Let us cast off works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of what? Light. Put on the armor of light. You might recall that man in John chapter 3 who came to Jesus when it was dark outside. You remember him? What was his name? Who came to Jesus when it was dark? Nicodemus, yeah. Nicodemus. He came to Jesus when it was dark outside. And at the end of this discussion that he has with Jesus, Jesus explains the difference between those who believe in him and those who are condemned already due to their unbelief. He goes on and says this at the end of John 3. He says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. That's still true today. How many people still embracing darkness? They don't like the light. Because their deeds were evil. It says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they've been done in God. You see, the idea, this idea of light is one of John's main themes in his gospel. It comprises, in fact, one of the I am statements in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am what? I am the light of the world. He, listen, listen to what he says after that. We know I am the light of the world. Do you know what comes right after that? He says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Church, in many instances, that light of life is missing in those who profess the name of Jesus Christ today. 
Jesus is the light, and the one who follows him shall not walk in darkness. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. This belt of truth is a belt of light, and this belt of light is more than decor to put around you. It's intended to shine brightly. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So walk in the light as he is in the light. Jesus himself declared, to, he declared himself to be the light of the world. And in preparation for his own departure, he declares his followers to be the light of the world. That's who you are if you are in Christ. You are identified as lights. Friends, when is the last time you have shined the light of Christ with others? When's the last time? That you have opened your mouth and shared the light of Christ. When's the last time when you have actually been a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ with your life? Do you think much about shining brightly for the Lord? As you consider this piece of armor, this armor of God that's been given to you, I pray you would see it not simply as a belt that you strap on around your waist, but a belt that is intended to stir you onward to shine the light of Christ. Be careful to limit the battle to an explanation of pieces to put on in the battle. The armor has been given by God not only to protect, but to advance and to manifest the cause of Christ in this world. The belt of truth is a belt of light meant to shine brightly. And this belt of light should remind us to walk in the light at all times. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about it as a child. Some of you younger people may still play this today. A game of tag. Anybody ever played tag? Tag. Maybe it's older folks, older and crusty. We don't get around like we used to. Right? So we maybe don't play tag anymore. But I remember the day of playing tag. And one of the things about playing tag... That was, that was fun. It was sort of provoking of sorts, but it was fun, I remember in the day. And that was, I could simply run to what was called the safe base. And I could stand on the safe base. And I could, I could just have fun talking to the people who were supposed to be tagging other people. And knowing that I was on safe base, they couldn't do anything about. That safe base was a protection. It covered me from getting tagged in this game. You see, because I was safe when my feet stood solidly on that safe base. The evil one only masquerades as light. Listen, he can't stand the light. It's repulsive to him. When you walk in the light as Christ walked, you are standing on solid ground. Satan can't stand in the light. Stand there and his deeds would be exposed. Put that belt of truth on and stand in the battle with the belt of light. 
and know that you're standing in the place that makes the devil tremble. You have found a safe base, church, in the light of Christ. Walk in that light. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And what a glorious truth this is to speak of and to know. While there's a gospel truth to gird about us, there is also this quality of truthfulness needed in the arsenal of the Christian. God has provided the armor and he has called us to put it on and take it up. To do so in his power for the purpose of standing. That we might not ultimately bring great glory and honor to the one who has graced us. It's important that we understand whose glory we're about. And we've talked about some of these pieces and some of these aspects of truth and the evil one. That when we are being dishonest, when we are faking, when we are not telling the truth, we are partnering with the very things that the evil one desires for us to do. We are giving him glory instead of the glory that is to be for the Lord's sake. And I hope in saying and sharing some of these things from the word, I hope hope then we're able to see that the magnitude, the scope of the battle we're in goes way beyond just me, just you, just your family. One writer said that we fight in this battle not merely for the thrill of vanquishing some foe or winning an argument but out of a genuine love for Christ, who is the living, breathing embodiment of all that we hold true and worth fighting for. Friends, are you taking up this belt of truth? The elements of truth-telling, sincerity, honesty, walking in the light, these are all characteristic of this belt of truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, that he is the way the truth, and the life. He embodies the truth. And as you put on this whole armor and see what a difference the belt of truth makes in the life of a Christian, I hope you begin to see how the Lord might have you use this particular piece of armor for Him, for His glory, for His honor. And I ask in closing, is the Lord worth fighting for? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have so graciously given to us this whole armor intended to put on. And today, Lord, we've looked at this first piece of the armor from your word, this belt of truth which were to gird around our waist. May this belt of truth be not only truth from a doctrine standpoint, this truth of the gospel. May we hold tightly to the truth of the gospel found in your word. May we not stand on falsehood, but truth as you've given it to us, as we've been taught truth in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray as well that we would 
be able to see this belt of truth comprising all that makes up truthfulness. These characteristics of sincerity, truth-telling, and honesty, and walking in the light. All of these aspects counter various parts of the schemes of the evil one. All the more reason, Lord, to take up this particular piece, this belt of truth. I pray, Lord, for this body here that each person represented, each household represented, that we would see this battle that's given to us and painted for us in the scriptures, not simply as a battle to be won at an individual, at a household, or even a local assembly level, but we would understand that engaging and standing in the battle, that we do so as a representative, as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would fight with the understanding that our Lord is worth fighting for. May that be our objective and aim as we stand in this battle together. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.